Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Welcome back to the King's Table it is uh, a bright, sunny, beautiful California day here. Um, no hurricanes, no thunderstorms. It's nice and sunny. I think we had the most overrated hurricane warning in the history of California. We are all safe and healthy in California. But kids are back in school. Mike Ayala now has a daughter-in-law. How are you feeling, oh, yeah. Mikey? Dude. How was the wedding? Pretty, How was pretty, the wedding? Uh, it was amazing. It was fun. Um Pretty wild seeing one of your kids get married. It's crazy. I bet. Well, welcome to the King's Table. We have uh, today the sage with us, Mike Ayala, the hero of hospitality, Maddie Aitchison, and of course, the trend spotter himself, Aaron Amuchastegui, and I'm your host, Ashish Nathu. Welcome to the King's Table, real talk in real time. What's going on, man? Have everything going good, guys? I'm pumped again. This is like pumped the, again. I know these conversations are fun. This is like, we get to throw on a, a, on a camera and recording while we just talk about stuff that we think is important. It's fun. Yeah. So I thought, I thought we could do, um, we could ask a deep question, which we've been, we kind of alluded to a few weeks ago <clears throat> and we can spend the first session, first part of the session kind of talking about that. And then I have, uh, what we've been talking about in the chats, maybe a fast round of a few topics and we can go around talking about some other things um, that are going on in real time. So the question of the day, and I don't even know the answer to this question, so I'm excited to see what you guys say. But if you were to go back to zero, if you were to start all over, let's say you lost everything or you just had to start all over, I'm going to give some framing to it. You know what you know today. You don't go back to no knowledge. You have all the knowledge that you have today. What would you do? Where would you go? I like Mike. You added that. Where would you start? Like where physically would you be? Would you live in the same place you live? Would you move? Would you go to another state? Maybe even another country. Right, Maddie? Um, so just kind of an open-ended question. What would you do? Who wants to start? Mikey, you want to yeah. go? Sure, I'll go. Um, I would, I would do the same thing that I did at the age of 24. I remember when I left my job and I remember sitting down with Kara and my business partner and we're like, you know, we pulled out $75,000 worth of uh, 401k, which we knew seven months later, we're going to pay 35%, you know, penalties and taxes. And, and the question was like, well, what if this fails? And, and I, I remember, I remember, you know, Kara and I just talking and it was like, well, if this fails, then I go back to what I'm currently doing, working for another HVAC and plumbing company. So I'm like, I'm already kind of living my worst case scenario. So I do the same thing. I would, I would go, I'd go find a job at a plumbing and HVAC company. I've got a ton of experience. I've, I've built a business. I'd say, Hey, look, I just lost everything. Um, give me a job. I mean, I, if it was a service tech, fine, but I'd probably get a job, you know, running a service department or being a GM or 
something like that. And then I'd do the same thing. I'd, I'd, uh, I'd work there for a couple of years until, um, you know, I could either buy that company or figure out how to buy another one and I'd start buying real estate. That's kind of what I did along the way the first time. Like I had that company for 10 years. I sold it 10 years later and, and I just started buying a bunch of real estate. And then what I realized after I sold in 2014 is I made my life really complicated. I, <laughs> you know, up, up till then it was like, when you HAC sold your plumbing. HVAC company. Yeah. Yeah. It was Why like, did you make it complicated? What does that mean? Just opportunity. Like, Oh, I could do this and I could do that. And I started mm. getting into everything. Like, um, you know, up to that point I was like, I had a plumbing and HVAC company that I like lived and breathed and every day was like studying and trying to get better in that company. And, and the, the real estate was kind of like, I'm going to say passive. Um, it wasn't, you know, I just had a team in place and like deals just kept coming to me and I would do a couple deals a year and, and I had an assistant that would manage those properties. And, you know, I had a construction company and a service company and we had all these connections in the subcontractor space. And so my life was like, no, I don't want to say easy, but it was kind of easy because I was focused. So I'd do that. Any, besides not selling the company, would you change anything else? Well, Maybe the reason why I sold the reason why I sold the company was really a values alignment with my partner. Right. Um, so, I mean, as long as I was value aligned with my partner and I'll tell you, you one last thing too, if, if I would have had the EOS language, the traction language at that point in time, mm. him and I may have survived uh, mm. because tell, he's, tell the he, audience, tell the audience what that means. Um, traction is a book that is, uh, you know, it's, it's built for companies that have like 10 employees to, you know, doing like 250. Um, but it's a system, it's a process that you use to get on the same page and, and you have an annual meeting and a quarterly meeting and then weekly meetings. And the L10 meeting is literally like transformational because it gets everybody on the same page. Um, it's mm -hmm. the same language where, you know, um, it's accountability. Um, they have a software, multiple software programs that go along with it, but the key to this is like, I'm a visionary of visionaries, which again, this is probably why I got in trouble when I sold my business because as a visionary, I'm just like, I could do all these things and I could, but I shouldn't. Um, mm -hmm. And if you're going to do all these things, then you kind of need a partner and integrator to do all these things. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And my first business partner is an integrator of integrators. Like he is, he's the, he's, he's the avatar, perfect mm -hmm. integrator. I'm a visionary. But we would butt heads all the time because we didn't understand each other's language and, and like position. And I actually found myself a lot of times saying anything with two heads is a monster because we were, at, we were business partners, right? And so we did have like 50-50 say, but that doesn't mean that we don't need to respect each other's positions in the business. And I'll say that for the audience. If you're going to get into partnership, I don't care if you're 50-50 owners or not. Identifying your roles within the organization is super, super important. Because mm -hmm. just because you're a 50-50 owner doesn't mean that everybody gets equal say in how we run certain departments or, or who the people report to, et cetera. And so I just didn't have, I, I didn't have any of that understanding at that point in time. I know what I would do. I was thinking Ready? about this. Do it, baby. Because anytime Aaron poses a good question, Aaron's a great question asker. And it, mm -hmm. it, I actually was thinking about it all week, Mooch. Um, and there's really a couple things I would do. Number one, I would immediately find a way to join a mastermind, whether that was volunteering for the mastermind, whatever, getting around action takers. 
I'm going to bet on myself and kind of my one of my superpowers is just being able to build connections with people and bring value to people. That's kind of how I've scrapped my way into rooms and conversations and opportunities my entire way as it was. So I would probably before doing that, right, going back, I'd I'd take a week to like really sit down and reflect because the one thing you lose your money, you lose your balance sheet, but you don't lose your relationships. You don't lose your skills. You don't lose your beliefs, your experiences, your wisdom, Right. So really taking inventory of like the ground that I've covered, the network that I have and really going, I don't have necessarily the currency of money, but I got the currency of relationships. I've got the currency of skills. Right. And so there's other things that I think hold value that necessarily don't equate to money. So I take inventory of that first and then I would immediately try and get around ecosystems and environments. I've always believed you grow in the conversations and the environments you put yourself in. I've been a part of good ones and I've been a part of bad ones. And I've kind of become a reflection of both of those paradigms. So I would immediately try and get myself into environments and conversations that I want to grow into. And being a part of a mastermind group, a community of action takers, of people that are doing what I want to do or you know, in the space that I want to play in, I would look at that. Second piece of that is I would go and get a job as a bartender because I would go to the swankiest bar, hotel, restaurant in town that has high net worth individuals, business owners, the who's who of town. And again, looking at my skill set, I like to talk with people. I like to get curious and ask what they're doing and where I can connect dots. And so I would want to, one, find a way to make a little money in the process but also just get face to face with people and press some palms, right? Make some connections and find a way to start getting back into that networking ecosystem of people that are, you know, making money and doing big things. And then while I'm making that money, I know for me personally, one of the things that as I look back on my journey, I would, I, I told myself that I needed to start small and work my way up. And looking back, I wish I would have just went to commercial real estate day one instead of going, oh, I got to wholesale houses or, oh, I got to flip houses to be able to then, you know, buy a single family property to then buy a fourplex to then buy a commercial strip center or a medical plaza. I would just go to the area that I now know has the greatest upside on hustle, on energy, on value, which in my opinion is commercial real estate. So um, that's what I would do. I'd get back to just like when I was, you know, door knocking, doing open houses and really leveraging sweat equity and effort. Now knowing what I know and knowing what areas I think my skill sets can create the greatest value and upside, I'd go to commercial real estate and start searching for off-market opportunities because how did I get started in single family in the first place? Well, I was broke. I was living at home. I didn't have any money to my name anyways. But I found great deals. And I remember my first mentor always told me, you find a great deal and the money will find its way to the deal. And so I would go and look for great commercial real estate opportunities while I was working my bartending job, while I was trying to tap into networking and mastermind groups and find that one great deal that would allow me to capture that value, use other people's money. It's always better to own a slice of a watermelon than 100% of nothing. So I would go and find a way to connect those dots and get my feet and my momentum rolling back in the commercial real estate space. Love it. Yeah, that's well thought out. 
Like the, that's a, that's a roadmap. I knew you were going to come, you know, with some, some heat mood. So I was like, I better, I better give this shit some time. That's the roadmap. And you thought about things that I wouldn't have thought about. So you, you would have, you would have maybe accelerated the real estate category that you're now in, in terms of focusing on commercial earlier than, than focusing on residential. Um, yeah, that's good. I like that. Okay. Mooch. Yeah. The, and for, for you listeners that are maybe seeing us on YouTube, I installed this state of the art, fancy stopwatch behind us. I re, I was re-listening to our first episode a couple of days ago, guys. And, and Ash asks me a question and I answer it for about 20 minutes, <laughs> just talking, just talking. And then I like, I'm trying to pass off and then Ash asks me another question as a follow-up and then I talk for like another five. So I'm sorry to everybody out there listening. So hopefully our little stopwatch keeps me from monologuing or any of us monologuing for 20 minutes. And I'm sorry I didn't cut him off. I should have cut him off. Yeah, Ash Ash should have, he should have totally rang the gong. So maybe the stopwatch is going to help and I just wasted one minute of my time uh, on that one. So so I love this as a topic because I've gone to zero three times, right? The, uh, and where I had to start over and going from making a couple hundred thousand dollars a month to nothing is a really, really strange phenomenon and process. It's like, it's really difficult to cut back expenses, right? And lifestyle. And then when, until you like all of a sudden have no money in the account and you're like, well, I actually just have no money to pay for this. So if I had to start over again, you know, knock on wood, you know, theoretical deal, um, I would do the same. I would do a similar thing to Maddie and Mike is first, like get a job that just pays the bills, that just pays the bills so I can, um, you know, just, just plug along. My experience has been with my major successes is like opportunities present themselves now and then, and you just have to keep looking, but you can't force an opportunity. I tried to force and start several businesses where it was like round peg, square hole type stuff. And they didn't work out, but the ones that did work out, it was like so obvious that that was, this was like the opportunity of the century when it came. So one, I would get a job and I would start making sure I had my income. Uh, two, I love Matt's idea of volunteering at a mastermind, be the mic runner at some of our events where you can hear things, offer so much value. I've offered so many jobs uh, to people that were like volunteers at GoBundance events, you know, in the past or other events uh, that we run around to. Our buddy Matt King, you know, he, you know, now he manages Osborne's family office, does so much stuff. And that started as like volunteering at an event and being extra, you know, giving. Um, so one, it's get the job Two, join the masterminds, uh, three, um, meetups like crazy. <laughs> so like, uh, if real estate is your thing, um, there are so many, so like Austin, Texas has been awesome because there's like a real estate meetup, like twice a week. People here love to host cocktail parties where it's get 20 or 30 people together that have never met anyone, uh, in the room. And so one, go to as many things as you can to meet as many people as you can. And then two, be really, really like intentional about like coming up with your list and like rescheduling a coffee or a surf session or a golf session or a lunch and like have this list of here's the people that I met leaving that event, but actually being strategic. I've actually tried thought about like building a social CRM around this and trying to find one because you leave these events and you're like, okay, this is the guy that when I build a tower is going to help me with financing, or this is the person that they're an expert, uh, in this. Um, so going to as many social events as possible and being intentional about having the conversations. Because I think the biggest opportunities happen when you're just like watching the news, 
Like, and that's the other part, like really watching the news of what's happening, you know, in like the markets, if it's real estate or other opportunities that are out there or like as AI is hitting, hitting. So like studying like crazy what's happening in the world, trying to see like, and then every time there's a problem, is it a problem that I can solve? And then just being open and ready. So rather than trying to like start a business right away and jump into something right away, I would like, you know, be sitting back waiting and watching and studying. So that way, when the moment does present itself, it's like, like foreclosures on the courthouse steps. When I got into that, that was, that was, un, it was an unheard of business. Nobody was doing it. Right. And then when I built software to be able to, to do it better than when I came out to Texas. So like the software that I built at times was all about problem solving. It was like, here's a problem out there. The, I think this software could fix it. Um, you know, the foreclosure and things like that. So yeah, getting a job now. And people hate that. People hate that idea because most people want to go be entrepreneurs now. And they're like, I want to quit my job and go become an entrepreneur. And I tell them, like, don't quit your job unless you know what you're doing Monday through Friday next week. Like, if you have your schedule and you know, I'm going to wake up at 7 a.m. on Monday, like people quit their jobs to become a real estate investor. And then on Monday or Tuesday, they're like, what do I do now? Or they like do something for an hour or two. And then they sit back and wait. And they're like, oh, I sent out some postcards or I door knock. And the, and so don't become an entrepreneur until you know, like, here's the business plan I'm actually going to run. And here's what I'm going to do 40, 50, 60 hours a week now for the next three weeks. Uh, even when people quit their job to go become a real estate agent, but they're not prepped to like spend eight hours a day farming, doing outbound, things like that. So kind of a boring answer, but it's like you get the job and stay aware and keep looking for that opportunity. And then as soon as that opportunity comes, I would do, I would try it while still doing a job, finding investors. And sometimes you get them to believe in you on something new. It's like, you guys get a hundred percent of the profit. I just need to prove out the system works because once you prove out the system works then the rest of the money comes. So How about you, I, Ash? I, I have some follow-up questions before I answer this. Yeah. You've done this two or three times already, so you already know the playbook. Do you think that you were able to get back on your feet faster every single time? Yeah, I totally was because you still have the knowledge. You have the knowledge of entrepreneurship. For me, I had the knowledge of real estate. You know, I had the I had the knowledge of how like auctions worked or like building up construction teams. Um, I guess the second part of it, there was a part of your question that was like location-based stuff. And uh -huh. so what really helped me the second time was actually changing locations. It was like, I couldn't have restarted in 2015 in California. I was able to restart in 2015 in Texas because my 2009 California playbook, nobody had played it out in Texas yet. So I got to play the same playbook in Texas in 2015. So I would also be researching like crazy where that opportunity is. You know, if it's uh -huh. going to be a real estate agent, like Maddie's talking about getting into heavy commercial, it might be like, no, actually going to someplace like in LA where the average price is like five to $10 million for a home. If you're going to start from scratch and start building out a new market, maybe it's where the commissions are really, really high. Uh, yeah. Or maybe you find markets like Fayetteville, Arkansas that are strong and they're, and they're still booming. And, you know, so location is also a very, very strategic part of that that will impact how fast your buildup is. And as, if you're committed to building up, like, location like you have to be willing to do anything so changing any any sort of uh location right away well i like that because i think you can you can really think about the relationships that you have and work from there but you also may have to give up those relationships to start in a new location right yeah like moving when to i texas. first did it i like I, I i kept living in california and i'd fly out to texas for a week a month yeah. Right. So I got to, and so some of my first investors were still like my California partners before, and I got to kind of dip my toe in, you know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't say Austin is where it's at and move to Austin. 
you know, hmm. I, I had been doing business in Austin for four years before I moved out here. Right. So the, I was you know, flying out here doing the stuff. So yeah, being, so that's how you keep, cause it is, it is also scary to, to start brand new and you don't want to move your whole family then have chosen the wrong market. So I think you got, yeah, if you're flexible, willing to fly, willing to travel around, you can find the right market after testing some. Okay. So my, I've given this a lot of thought, but I didn't know if I had an answer for this, but as you guys speak, um, I think my answer would be that <clears throat> I think when you, when you build something and you fail many times, it's not your fault. And as people observe you, people realize that you're capable of building something. And so just because it didn't, it didn't work out or you went to zero means that you specifically did something. So what I would do is I'd actually go work for another visionary. I'd call up Mike and say, okay, Mike, what are you visioning? Hire me. Assuming Mike didn't lose everything too. <laughs> Mike, what do you want to build? I'll go build it for you. And that's probably what I would do. Um, so I'd get a job for a visionary and I'd go build whatever he wanted to build until um, I had the space to go build what I wanted to build. And I think that on top of, cause I don't know if I could necessarily work for a job. I'd probably like, you know, you know, I love your idea, Maddie, but I don't know if I could do something like that. Like I, I really require a lot of variability and change and fast paced uh, acti activity and a lot of freedom. And so I think visionaries have lots of ideas, lots of um, things that they want to do, and they're looking for entrepreneurs to go run their companies or build things for them. And so that's probably what I would do. I'd, I'd take a job. I'd take very little pay to survive, um, reduce my expenses, and try to get some of the upside of whatever I was building for a few years until I'd go build something. Some of the lessons and, and some of the things that would have accelerated, um, I would I would have done EOS way sooner. I would have hired coaches for myself and my partners way sooner and probably made that a requirement of self-development, personal development, uh, personal awareness, relationship management, all of those kinds of soft skills spent way more time and investment early on and sort of made it part of the income statement and forced everyone to be part of these conversations until, you know, much sooner than when there's challenges in relationships and then you're trying to solve them. Um, I joined Vistage a little too late. So I would have joined a similar type of CEO or, or leadership type of mastermind um, that would help you be a, a, you know, just be a better businessman or business person and better, better leader. And I also would have brought in better coaching within my leadership team. So to answer your question, I would have gone to a visionary, asked him for a job, tell him what you want to build. And the other thing I would have done is I probably would have liked to start investing earlier. And so I, I waited way too long to start investing capital. So I would have started doing that way earlier in, in the journey. Because um, I think real estate is kind of interesting it it allows you to have some freedom that a company doesn't quite allow you to have. Like you can get in and out of real estate actually easier than you can get in and out of a company. And so not to say that you need to get in and out of your company, but it just provides a little bit more flexibility. Um, but I do think that the model, and Mike, maybe I'd love your follow-up question is, I really do think that the model of long-term success is to run a company and invest in real estate. 
and and you may have a real estate company that is your business, but to to run a company that generates cash and pays you really well to then passively invest or actively invest in real estate over long periods of time, I think is the formula. So I'd probably accelerate those levers. Um, yeah, that's my answer. What would you? So you said you would you would invest in real estate sooner. Is yeah. what is is what you're saying in terms of investing? So you'd be taking income well, out of the that, business. Yeah, so I'll tell you why. I, mean, I feel like I have this perspective. When you work, when you when you run a business, you have either W two income, K one income, guarantee fee income, whatever. You are highly exposed to tax. So you make you work really hard. You grow your company. You make good money, but a lot of it goes to tax. And there's, you know, I guess as a business, you could buy your building or you you could do certain things to reduce taxes. But often if you have partners, it becomes even more complicated and uh, to, to own assets like that. So um, I think real estate provides a really interesting opportunity to build wealth at a, uh, you know, by protecting tax and protecting your income in a way that running your business just doesn't. But when you run a cash flow generating business and operating company, products and services, you generate great cash flow. It's probably the best return that you could have. You're not running a company on four cap, five cap returns. So -hmm. the returns are really good. Generates really great cash, but it's highly exposed to tax. So that's, that's, that's why I feel that it's really important. And, And in my perspective, you guys are all real estate guys. In my perspective, many entrepreneurs, like industrial CEOs, industrial owners, even guys like Mike pre-real estate, don't invest in real estate until way too late. Yeah. And maybe the only real estate they own is their home and the building that their business is in. That's it, right? They don't use real estate as a vehicle to generate income over long periods of time to protect that income uh, from tax. And so I think there's a huge opportunity. And when I talk to CEOs who are 55, 60, 65, at the end of their career, after 20, 30 years of building their business that has generated great cash flow for them, they either slow their business down, they take all their cash, or they have an exit event, and all of it is exposed to tax. And so if they if they slowly invested that money in real estate over 20 to 30 years, I think that their, their the, the overall balance sheet would have grown bottom line. So that's, that's why I have the answer. I think yeah. that's a really important thing to maybe lean in on a little bit and maybe cause I'd love to know kind of that allocation. Cause you know, a lot of us come with real estate first lenses, right? Whereas mm-hmm. you're, you've been in your, your business as your core tree trunk of cash flow and wealth building and you've diversified out of that to understand kind of what everybody's diversification pie chart of wealth and investing looks like. But for the audience that doesn't know how badass you are, Ash, and, and how big your business is and what, can you give just a little bit of a backdrop on what your business looks like today and when you think, looking back, you wish you would have started investing along the way? Uh- well, firstly, I think that 
we, I think that it's really important to understand, and I don't have the chart in front of me, but um, maybe next time I'll share it, is that if you look at the, the most wealthy people in the world, they may have real estate, but majority of their wealth is not because of their real estate. It's because of their business. The business is what is, it creates so much wealth. Um, but that's not for everybody, right? That's like the 0.01% of the people who have billion dollar, multiple billion dollar companies. Um, that it's the business that has so much value. So we started at zero. We probably will hit upwards of either this year or next year. Um, we have a hundred, 150 people all around the world and in, in multiple countries, you know, we have a global supply chain business. So there's a very complicated operation. And I think real estate is is interesting, but it's hard to get to a billion with real estate, especially by yourself, because you need so much capital, right? And um, and so what often people do, the billionaires in real estate, it's not their money. They raise money, other people's money, to get to a billion dollars of real estate. And often um, that's leveraged. So the actual net worth of that real estate is not in the billions, you know, post debt or equity. It's, it's not much more. It's not that, but it's, but it's tax protected, right? I mean, all that passive income is, is, is protected in, in a lot of ways. So, and you guys are smarter than me and you can explain that to the listener, but when you're generating income and this way, I think is funny about the tech industry and the values in tech, because none of those companies make money, but Mike wouldn't be an HVAC if that company didn't make money and neither would I. So they have to generate cash and that cash gets distributed within the business or to shareholders um, and the returns are really good. And then that cash has value to private equity or other investors or portfolio companies. And so that's where the value of these companies come from. And uh, yeah, so I don't know if that answered your question, but. Well, and so based on your business and kind of when you started kicking off some cash flow, you you said, hey, I wish I would have started investing outside of my business a little bit earlier. Well, I, Why I, did you say I, that? When would you do that? Well, I mean, we didn't make money for the first five or six years. Um, but I, I probably would have started small. And nowadays, you can start small in real estate. You know, there's so many different avenues to invest in real estate. You don't have to do it directly. You can do it through syndications or passively through people you trust. Uh, or get a couple of friends together to do small deals, things like that. But I probably would have started in like maybe year one or year two of profitability, taking small amount, making more focused investments in real estate because real estate takes time. And that's yeah. the, the reason why people don't do it when they start making money in business is like, wait a second, I can just take this half a million dollars and put it back into my company and I can, yeah. <laughs> I, and, and that's not, the wrong answer because often the business is the best place to invest money. Right. But then you realize in 20 years that, Oh man, I'll, it just keeps going to tax. And if you, if you accumulate that net tax burden, it's quite significant. So you have to slowly start, start doing it. And I think that's where it's coming from. And people like us also, we're not investing in real estate for cash flow benefits. We just need to slowly appreciate the, you know, you're looking for appreciation, you're not looking for cash flow because the business generates enough cash flow. You can't That's compete. A long yeah, you can't compete with the cash flow that the business is providing with. Like, I love 
that's probably another reason why I didn't invest in real estate because when when a guy like you comes to me and says, hey, Ashish, you want to put $100,000 in real estate at a four cap or at two guys, like, get the hell out of here. You got to be kidding me. Go away. Yep. You got the wrong people bringing you deals if they're bringing you four caps. Even a six or a seven cap at reinvesting right. in the business is better, but it's it's totally. that long play of knowing like, yeah, buy a couple houses here and there, buy a couple buildings here and there. And in 10 years and in 15 years, like you're still counting on your business, but you're doing a couple extra investments and 10 or 15 years, the, um, it's like this huge piggy bank. And that's and why I, came up, thing, go ahead, I was just gonna say, that's why I came up with my 500 K a year in passive income plan over 10 years. Yeah. I just said, if I, if I could just buy one asset a year that nets me $50,000 a year, I'll look up in 10 years. And not only I'm not accounting for the appreciation that's going to happen, but I'm going to have $500,000 a year in passive income coming in and, you know, $50,000 a year. Okay. That's, that's nice. But then you get into year five and you're at 250. It's like, oh shit. Okay. That's real nice. You get to year 10, you're like 500 K a year. That, that goes a long way. Right. And you get all of the, you know, advantages that come along on the tax side, the value upside, the cash flow. So I think like what you're saying, right, is some people get a little too short-sighted where it's like, hey, just simplify it. Yeah. And based on where you'd like to be in 10 or 15 or 20 years, let's just break it down and reverse engineer. If you just did one every year and you said it wasn't a big burden, it didn't take a ton of time and energy away from your core business, your core tree trunk of focus, but it yeah. was a little branch. And then all of a sudden you look up in 10 years and you got 10 branches off of your core tree trunk. That makes a lot of sense that sometimes people don't necessarily think about, or maybe it gets a little bit overlooked. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's interesting. Like if you, I remember having conversations like eight years ago with people that wanted to start a, you know, I'm going to buy a screen printing thing and start a t-shirt company. <laughs> and it, like, I kind of feel like real estate investing is the t-shirt of like eight or 10 years ago. And just like, hear me out here for a minute. But I think like when you look at what's happened, like the last 10 years, and I love what you said, Maddie, because I think what happens naturally is when you think about Rich Dad, Poor Dad, like everybody's read Rich Dad, Poor Dad, but not very many people have read the book that he wrote before you quit your job because mm. it's not sexy. And what he was talking about in that book is like, it's everything that we're talking about. And I think people, and I, I think we've done an injustice to some degree too, because people think that real estate is the easy, it's like the easy button. And I would argue that the day of like bigger pockets and you know, all the real estate gurus and the flippers. And I mean, Aaron, how many times have we been on a mastermind trip where, you know, there's so many people that have this flywheel. I've been talking a lot about the flywheel, this thing that spins off cash, right? Whether it's your W2 yeah. job or whether it's your business. And, and, you know, Aaron and I led, uh, we helped facilitate a mastermind a while back of really successful people that like, we got to see their balance sheets and everything. And it's like, 90% of their stress and headache and pressure was not coming from their core business. It was coming from their real estate portfolio because somebody nice. convinced them that they should go buy real estate and not passive real estate, Ash. They went and started buying their own real estate. And now they have like six or 10 properties and it's causing them all their headaches. And, and I remember asking the question to like three different guys. I'm like, how's your core business? Oh, it's fabulous. Like I work two and a half days a week and I'm making $700,000 a year. And I'm like, okay, so all your headaches and pressure is coming from this. Like, because somebody told you that real estate getting active in real, the thing that people don't understand is the people that are successful in real estate are like Aaron, 
they run a real estate business. They're really good That's business right. owners. That's right. They're really good business operators. And so you have to make a decision, Ash, even what you were saying earlier about like the allocation of wealth. When you look at like Tiger 21, when you look at Tiger 21 people, like the majority of What's their- Tiger 21? It's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a higher level go abundant. It's not higher level, but a, a, a higher, higher net worth number. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And, and the, when you look at their allocation, like most of them have like a 30 to 40% allocation in real estate, but a lot of it is passive allocation because they're running, right. they're very, very successful business owners by nature, or they've had a big exit. And then they're like, what the hell do I do with all of this? But your point that you made earlier is like the extremely wealthy, successful people, like most of their allocation is, and, and this is something that we don't talk about a lot, but when you look at the allocation chart, a lot of it is the public markets, but they have somebody mm-hmm. very intelligent that's investing in that. And then yeah. their, their business is a main part of the allocation and then real estate as well. But like I said, I think the majority of people that are successful in real estate, real estate is their core business. And so we have to decide, I think there's so many people I think if you walked down the street 10 years ago and said, hey, do you invest in real estate? And I've got no you know, numbers to back this. But I think maybe out of 100 people, like 15 would say, yeah, I invest in real estate. And right now, like, there's probably so many more that are like, I invest in real estate. Maybe they bought a deal or they want to because real estate has been, you know, it's, it's, it's the screen printing t-shirt company of like 10 years ago where every, it's easy. It's not easy. It's not easy at all. It's another business. No, I... I just want to like, it, it is crazy thing about that event that we did up in Alaska that was like that. And there is kind of this, and that's why I tell people like, before you quit your job, like know what you're doing. And it's like, we get as entrepreneurs, we get successful in one thing. And then we want to go do other stuff. I go like, I hate having to manage my property management company that manages my assets. That's no fun to be way more fun to go do this. But yeah, most of the trouble comes when we get out of our lane. And there's like, sometimes you get out of your lane and it becomes this new big thing. But yeah, there's so many gurus out there. It's just so good to think about, like, as you're telling people, like people call me all the time. Hey, I want to quit my job and become an entrepreneur. I want to quit my job and become a real estate investor. And it's not that simple. And the stories that try to encourage people to do it that way, I think they're, it's like, yeah, there's, it's set up, it's set up for failure instead of success. It's just a great point that like those guys that we were talking to, that, that we were talking to up there were all doing so, so well. But because somebody said, like, you have to get real estate, like that was actually lowering their net worth, not gaining it because they uh, they were buying the wrong stuff. And that's part of trying to force a round peg square hole. It's like, oh, I got to get a deal. Oh, I got I I told myself I'm going to buy 20 doors. I got to buy 20 doors, even if it's a shit deal. So that's where I'm at right now. I have a 1031 exchange going and I'm like feeling this pressure. Like I got to I got to find a deal. I got to find a deal. But at the same time, it's, it's, it's also, you, you don't want, it's better to buy or do nothing than do something that is a bad deal or a bad move. And so I guess my question to you guys is, when is it okay to go outside of your core competency and business? Because I, I think about my journey and there were many times that I went outside of my core competency and I wouldn't have hit certain milestones or wins. There were failures in there, but I wouldn't have hit those wins if I didn't step outside of my core competency and go after some of these things as well. Now it led to some total failures along the way too. So uh, I think it's an interesting question for people, right? That maybe have tried some things and feel like their identity is wrapped up in one area that maybe they're limiting themselves from actually having a breakthrough or finding something that's more aligned 
with where they want to go or what their core competency might be or could be because they feel like they need to stay somewhere? Like when is it okay to jump and go and pursue something else? And when should we just like pump the brakes a little bit and keep chopping wood at our core tree trunk? I'm going to reset the stop clock, guys. I feel like we're we're now forming into in a new new topic on I have, here. So. I, have, I have an answer to this question. It, it I think it really depends. You have to really know yourself, and so this answer is probably different for everybody. There are there are people that dream to have success in one thing so that they can then coast and chill and enjoy the fruits of that, and that's there's a certain type of personality for that, right? Um, then there's people that thrive off of variability change and that's their personality. They actually need different things every single day, the challenges, the new obstacles. And if they're not challenged in that that way, then they get bored. That in entrepreneurship is also super dangerous because you become squirmy and you do things you shouldn't be doing and you get distracted and all that. So my answer to this question is that you really have to know yourself and you really have to have a kitchen cabinet that is close to you that protects what is important. So for me, I'm a little um, I'm a little squirmy, but that serves me. I get to explore things. I, it, I allow, it allows me to learn things in different industries and businesses and explore and learn and try and test. And, and I have a group of people around me that is very close that keeps the fairway tight. So they know that, okay, he's going to go explore. But when it comes back to the rocket ship we're trying to build, there's really clear specs. And you're just trying to find ways to make this rocket ship more more efficient with everything else you're learning. But we're not going to build a rocket ship today and tomorrow we're building an airplane. And that's the danger of what entrepreneurs do is they get so distracted with all these things that they're learning. They're like, well, we were starting to build a rocket ship. Now let's go build an airplane. Like, no, 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 no. You can't keep doing that. So that my answer is like, you really have to have self-awareness and you really have to protect yourself with the people that you surround yourself with. And, 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 and they can't be comp, they have to be compliments to you. They can't be the same. So you can't, visionaries can't surround themselves with other visionaries because you get stuck in the trap. You need, like Mike said, you need an integrator to keep you on track. To, to understand what the boundaries are. You can go be visionary. You can go learn a bunch of stuff, talk to a bunch of people, explore all, all you want. But when we're talking about this, there's a, there's, there's a framework. And you may flex the framework a little bit, but let's stay within the framework. Otherwise, you just, the odds of success are so much less. Mikey? I, I, think, there's, I think there's phases. I think we, or maybe not phases, but different, yeah, different, you know, phases that people are in. And and this is really simple, but nobody could have talked me out of starting my first business. Nobody could have talked me out of start like quitting my job. Um, you know, I mean, even when troubles came, like nobody could have talked me into shutting the doors. There was no question in my mind we were gonna survive. Um, so I think early on, if you're questioning, oh, is this a good idea? Is this a bad idea? Like this you know, is good. Yeah, because like no nobody nobody could have convinced me otherwise. Like I knew that I knew that I knew that I needed to quit my job and start my business. Um and I don't know what that means for different, you know, I have a high risk tolerance, et cetera. So Ash, you said something that I think is very powerful. Um, you know, 
different, different people think differently. So I think when you're first getting started, if you're trying to get 18 different people to convince you to quit your job, you probably shouldn't. Yes. Um, and I think you just got to know that, you know, but when we're talking about phases, um, I think later on, and, and Ash, you touched on this. The thing that you have is you have a leadership team, you have infrastructure, you have very, you know, people have very defined goals. And so I think I've taken my hand off the wheel too many times too early when I didn't have myself surrounded with the right people, the right team, et cetera. And so I think this is a different conversation for people that are in a different phase. You know, when you find yourself at the point where you've got 30 extra hours a week because your team is in great shape and things are functioning and flowing, then maybe, maybe you can go do something else. But I hear Aaron Amuchastegui in the back of my brain saying, oh, but when, you know, be ready to come back in because when shit hits the fan and it's going to, yeah. like, you've got to make sure that we're not tied up to three other things too. And so I think that's the trap that I've fallen into at times is like, even when I have the right team in place, et cetera, I go create a job for myself somewhere else that like, if I need to make sure that I can come back in. Um, I've said this, like, I'm a great wartime leader. I'm a horrible peacetime leader because I just break shit. Like if things are going too well, I want to break things. Um, and mm -hmm. so it's actually good for me to not be in the business every single day when I have the right team in place. And the last thing I'll say, you know, Ash, you said earlier that if shit hit the fan, you'd go to work for another visionary. But then you also just said visionaries can't hire visionaries. And, and I, I think there's, but I, I have done this before. Tyler Gunter is a great example. He was my CEO at, at the mobile home park company for three years and he's a visionary and I've known he's a visionary for a long time. And when I hired him, he said, I'll give you two years. Here's why I'll give you two years. I need to reset. I need to do some things. I need to make some money along the way. So I'll give you two years. And I'm like, I'll take it. Like knowing that I had a visionary coming in that was going to run part of my company and, and try to put an integration or an integrator in place, which he did. Um, right. That's a great period of time. If, Ash, if you came to me and said, I'm going to give you two years, I would find a spot for you, but I would not put you you know, in the trenches in one of my organizations, I would say, okay, here's your yeah. specific role. Go build this out. Yeah. I like, I like creating the bandwidth. That was, that's smart. You're, you're right. <clears throat> Mooch. You know, the, it's, it probably depends on when, you know, when I, when I first got outside my zone, so like 2005, 2006, 2007, I'm running a home builder, Southern California. Life is amazing. Right. I'm golfing three days a week. I'm making six figures straight out of high school and young or, or out of college, young twenties, like life couldn't have been better. And it was all the wrong expectation. And then when the market crashed, you know, getting the pay cut in half or maybe more than that, I was forced to get outside my, my, my zone of expertise in that to try to like find the industry, but also buying foreclosure on the courthouse steps was my seventh business that I tried to start while working that other job. Mm. right? Like the, and then that one hit. So it was like trying a bunch of different things and then it finally worked. And so like, when is it okay to get out your, out of your zone? Like one would be if you have to, like, if it's actually like, Hey, if I don't do something right now, I'm actually not going to be okay. I'm actually not going to survive. I knew that I couldn't have my wife keep being a waitress at night while she was, my second baby was born early because she was like a waitress at night while she was eight months pregnant. And I was like, so that was so the first time I had to like, go get outside my comfort zone and find something. Cause I had to, 
And there, and I couldn't actually go get another job because my skill was running production home builders and the market had crashed and there was no production home builders left. So one, I had to get outside my expertise because I was forced to, there will be times in people's lives that you could be forced to. You've got something that you need to have happen. Cause it's like the same question of like your kid's sick. You need to make $200,000 in the next six months. What are you going to do? Right. That's a different question because then you're way outside your comfort zone because you're doing some really, really big swings. And so yeah. maybe that's a, like an interesting one, too. So that's part of it when you get forced to. And I think the other time is when it's completely, completely safe to. Right. Like the when you're like, hey, like my business is running itself. I could spend four hours a day golfing and surfing or I can spend four hours a day trying this new thing and I'm going to try a, a few of them. Now, there's probably some, someone in between. I'm going to share. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something kind of bold really quick to put out on the screen. We'll see. Screen. It sounds like so, it sounds like Aaron golfs and wake surfs four hours a day. That's what I heard. The, I'm trying. You I'm see like, my screen. All you got to do is follow him on social media, and you will say that the, is a fact. That, that, that's <laughs> the dream, right? At least he's getting better. Yeah, I am getting better. I like the ollie. The ollie was nice, dude. Hey, thanks for noticing. Do you guys? Can you see my screen or no? There it is. Yeah, we yeah. got it. Cool. All right. Here's my problem with all that. I've got a bunch of really big, successful businesses. This is my org chart. Every color is a different company, yeah. right? So I've got different successful businesses that are awesome, right? And I've got my, like, where we own 800 houses in my property management company. I've got my, I've got another, you know, set of real estate that I own with partners. I've got one that's our software company. Like, look at all those employees and people and like color coded and stuff. The, um, you know, and, I'm, and I'll unshare, but I wanted to just show how complicated some of my shit is because- yeah. The reality is, is the reason I don't have a hundred million dollar company is because I have seven companies between like two and 10. Yes. Mm. This is really, really, really important. This is right. Like if I had now part of that was like timing. So like my software company, my foreclosure company was growing from 2017 to 2020. We were like on our race and I'm like, I'm going to sell this company for a hundred million dollars in the next six years. And I had my roadmap and I was ready. Well, COVID shut down. Uh, foreclosures. Now, maybe if I'd just stayed focused on that, but then I said, oh, real estate's a huge opportunity right now. I shifted all my effort 2021 to, essentially to now to like buying real estate instead. I don't regret it. I made a lot of money during that time, but my software company went nowhere. And so the other problem of getting outside your comfort zone or, or outside your area of expertise. Now, in one sense, uh, the fact that I had all of those was great diversification because when I, my foreclosure company couldn't make profit anymore, uh, my real estate rentals were working. So now I'm diversified in the sense that if two of my companies shut down, I'm safe. Um, so that part's nice, but it's also what keeps me from having one of my companies get to a hundred million. So mm. the lack of being able to focus on one big thing. So I don't know how much that answers it or not, but it's like, uh, but I know that's why. I, yeah. I find it really interesting from the perspective of, I think it also met, it, it, it needs to be measured. The decision needs to be measured against what end outcome you're really trying to achieve. Because if it is, I want to be a $100 million you know, exit, then that is going to prescribe a different plan and, and necessary focus and discipline in order to achieve that. I'll, and, and I see Ash thinking, so let me give a little more context to this. My, if, if, if you want a bigger balance sheet at the end of the day, and that's what you're measuring your success around, I think the narrative and the subscription of 
find your core competency in tree trunks, stay focused, put blinders on, do the boring shit over and over and over again until it compounds into something big, you're much more likely to hit that $100 million mark than you are doing 10 companies that are two to 10, right? Versus for me, sometimes this is what I struggle with, honestly, in the sense of all vulnerability. I go, when I get to the end of my road and I'm on my deathbed and I'm watching my life play back in front of me, am I going to measure the success of my life based on me having a $100 million exit and a fat ass balance sheet and a ton of cash in the bank? Or am I going to measure my life's success and fulfillment based on saying, damn, that was a hell of a ride. And I went in all of the areas I felt called to versus what I know or what I knew to be a better path forward for achieving more business success versus did I become a better, more well-rounded human being? Did I learn more? Did I experience more highs and more lows and grow and maximize the ROI on all of life, not just my business and my bank account, because I decided to go and bounce around to some of these other areas that led to more discovery, more ahas, more realizations, more connection, more impact but I didn't necessarily hit that $100 million mark. That's what I struggle with in going, could I stay focused on this core competency in tree trunk for the next 50 years and probably be and end up more financially ahead at the end of the day? Probably, but at the same time, I think there can be an argument made for, could you still end up financially in that same place and also have grown more as a human being and maximized more out of life by bouncing around to some of these other areas that we as entrepreneurs naturally feel called to go to, that's the debate that I have in my own head sometimes and what I struggle with. It's a big, uh, I had a, I had this talk with my pod yesterday. The, the, my biggest challenge right now is, is really that of going, and we talked about it maybe like two weeks ago on here. If you say yes to one thing, you're saying no to another. Mm-hmm. So like it is the scale, like I can grow this thing really huge, but then this thing is going to fail and it could be companies. It could be family. It could be personal. But I also know that like when my dad died, that's when I was like, no, it's about experiences over things. And I don't know if now I'm struggling with so much because I did so many years of experiences over things that now it's like tipping back and forth. Cause it's like, do I want to, do I want to try to be a billionaire or not? Because there's, because you can't have it all. Right. And, and the question that, um, the pod was asking me because it, because it's really easy to say, would you rather be a good, a good husband, a good father? And I, and I hope this resonates with even a lot of listeners. It's really easy to say like, what's more important, a business or being a good dad or being a good husband, being a good dad, and being a good husband, easy. Right. Like that's what we say. But sometimes the, the sad thing is I actually struggle with that because I'm like, well, but I think this family, I think my family could survive if I go focus on this for a minute. And if I hit a billion, then I can do more. And people are like, why do you want to be a billionaire? Right. I'm like impact, right? Like you can actually make stuff happen um, more. I think about the fact that my daughter got healed. Um, of all the people that went to treatment with her, there's like two in remission out of hundreds that we met. Why? Because we were the only ones with unlimited funds. It's sad. It's horrible. It's like, it gets me teary eyed because I think about all the other people that if they had resources or it was different, they'd have their life back. My daughter has her life back. And the, so people are like, so why would you want to be 
Why do you want to be a billionaire? Why do you have to keep going? When is enough enough? So I struggle with it because I know that deep down, I'm like, no, I don't want to do this if I lose all this other stuff. But my problem is how can I have it all or how can I balance it enough where it's okay? Because I do think it's like an either or decision a lot of the time. So it's Mm. just interesting as the cycles. Now, had I not got to spend a few years focusing on family instead of business, maybe I wouldn't be so okay with this thing where right now I'm spending more time on business and family, but yeah. No. This is this is a good open-ended <clears throat> unanswerable question that we're kind of pursuing here. I think again it goes back to what kind of person you are. And I think Maddie a lot of us align with you. A lot of us and the way I think about this is that you know, I think about the world and life in energy loops and how many energy loops do I have going on at any one given time? And we mm-hmm. like opening up a lot of energy loops mm-hmm. because it keeps us, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a great story. And, and I don't disagree with Mooch about we, our narrative is that if we can grow businesses and we can increase the scale of our businesses, we can have more impact, more influence, and ultimately leading to legacy, which I think it ultimately leads down the path of legacy. But that's an expensive uh, proposition. It's very costly to having that many energy loops. And I think the, the story we tell ourselves is we want to learn, we want to do all these things which create open energy loops. But then when things go bad, it's way harder to deal with, you know, like Mooch. If something were to go bad, he's got seven or eight non-personal energy loops that are highly complex, that all, maybe maybe more than half of them will struggle at the same exact time, which means that actually his upside may be more, but it's way more complex and the downside is going to be really, really ugly. And so not, not to say that there's a right or wrong answer, but I think about these things in terms of energy loops. And we as entrepreneurs, especially as visionaries, love energy loops. So I, I think that we need to have, we need to learn like, like this podcast, there's no functional financial utility in having this podcast, right? But it's an open energy loop where we get to explore this part of our brain, this part of our personality that we enjoy without creating an energy loop that potentially has downside work, stress, risk, whatever. And so I think you got to find a healthy outlet for those types of that energy, Without saying, oh, I'm going to go risk everything I have to go start a dry cleaning business or like go be a coin laundry investor or like, and I think that there's a lot of traps out there, man. These guys who are selling real estate, it's all about real estate. Mike, you said it right. Like I'd say 50% of everyone walking on the street right now is in, a, in who has discretionary income is a real estate investor. Like, <laughs> you have no business investing in real estate, you know? So. But, but, but if you're going to invest in real estate. Get Aaron's, get Aaron's list that. in Texas because that, <laughs> that's the way to do it. Uh, but and there's truth to that. Um, I because yeah. I think that's the key to like because I mean honestly, there's people teaching real estate that have like they've done like four deals, and then you've got Aaron that's got this software company and a list and and really the infrastructure and the the ability. So I think that's I just want to say that because not. I think investing in real estate is a great thing. And I think everybody should explore it at some point in time. Just be careful who you're learning from. Because like I said, I mean, part of what Aaron has built there in that, that ecosystem is 
you know, the systems and the processes, et cetera. And so where you go is important. I want to, I like, I love the energy loop concept. And I think, you know, I was listening to Maddie and, and just, and we've talked about this in the past too, but I think understanding the season we're in. And like when Aaron was talking about, you know, being there for Maddie and not only the resources of financially, but time, you guys were able to support her. And, and I think, I think we have to really understand, I think as humans in this day and age, we've lost complete sense of what seasons actually even mean. Like, I mean, if you just think about it from a practical perspective, we're not out like, you know, in the middle of winter, it's a different season. Like in the fall, we're prepping for winter. And I just don't think that we understand, like right now, you know, my oldest son just got married, which we talked about. My kids are, the Tim, my second son is on his own. Um, Kayton's 19 now, she's getting close. I feel, this is going to sound crazy, but I feel like the risks that Kara and I can take at this stage are probably greater than what I would have felt comfortable taking you know, five years ago. And Kara has said this all along, like, I'll live in a freaking apartment. I don't care. But when I think about, you know, the, um, the impact of like, if I failed and my kids are, you know, nine and 11 and, and 14, and they have to move into a, you know, a single wide mobile home with one bedroom, like I lived in, um, the psychological impacts of that are a lot more than like if Kara and I fail two years from now when you know I'm no longer responsible for my kids, et cetera, Kara's always yeah. said it. I don't care where we live. I don't care what we do. I don't need all the things. And I believe that. And so I feel like I, feel like I could take more risks you know, two years from now than what I was willing to take maybe four or five years ago. And so I think just understanding the seasons that we're in too and where we're at as a family and, and also economy-wise. And and we tend to focus on, you know, where we're at in the economic cycles, but where are we at in, in seasons of life and the cycles that we're in as well? Um, I think that's super important. And I don't think people, you know, acknowledge or see that enough. Okay. So you said a key word that I want to close the, the loop on this one, the energy loop on this particular topic. And you said economy. And I know all of us, Mooch and I obsess over data all day every day. I know Mike is always digging into data. Ashish, you're always digging into data. So I'm very curious. And I know a lot of our listeners have texted in questions to the text line around our thoughts and perspectives around the economy and the data that we're seeing. And again, if you're new to the show or this segment of the show, you want to text us, you have comments, you have your own thoughts, you know, you have topics that you want us to dig into text 844-447-1555. That being said, I'll just kind of preface this. While a lot of the data is showing that what the Fed has been doing is moving us back in line with where they want to see it, it still feels like to me that while the data is supporting strong metrics in certain aspects of the economy, and certain things pulling back the way they want them to pull back, that there is still this instability underneath it all that I feel like I can't necessarily wrap my, my head around it or, or put my, my thumb on any one particular data point that I'm saying is going to be the linchpin to maybe 
put our economy or certain things in a tailspin, but I feel this weird uneasiness. I feel like this weird paranoia. And I think there's healthy levels of paranoia and there's unhealthy levels of paranoia. So I feel it as a healthy level of paranoia in the sense of I'm on my toes, my head's on a swivel, I'm not overextending myself and getting my, you know, out in front of my skis. But at the same time, I feel like there's some stuff that's brewing here. And I want to know, what are you guys seeing? What are you feeling in our economy? And maybe certain data points or sets that you guys are basing those judgments or those feelings on that other people might be able to take some of the breadcrumbs you're leaving behind on your your trail as you move forward. I want to go first. Um, I think that there is a ton of blood in the water. And I think it's going to get worse. I don't know if I'm willing to say that the entire world is unhealthy right now. It's bad everywhere. And I think the opportunity economically is now like I think the next 10 years, there's going to be a ton of opportunity. So I think having your head on a swivel and is good. But I think there's opportunity for a lot of people to like really figure out where there's distress and start to figure out how to provide value to people. Um, me specifically, I mean, you know, China's hurting bad. Um, we as a U.S. In, you know, the U.S. economy, we've slowed down consumer imports significantly, which means our buying behavior is reducing. Um, Factories are empty, uh, 60, 70% empty on the residential manufacturing side of all kinds of consumer goods. This is stateside or in China? Like in, globally, actually. Globally, so China, okay. Vietnam, all of Southeast Asia, shipments are way down. Um, so way too much capacity. On the U.S. side um, – I don't know. I just, I mean, we've talked here on the podcast about real estate a lot and the, the, you know, commercial and all those things, but you know, the whole hotel industry I think is recovering, but there's still, it's still on kind of weak ground. Like you're not seeing consistent strength going forward. I think probably if you asked me that 12 months ago, I'd say, oh yeah, people feel like, okay, there's strong three, four, five years ahead of us. But sitting here today, I think people are hesitant and they're cautious and they're not spending money. They're, they're just being careful. And I think when people are careful, um, there's opportunity for people that want to get in. Um, yeah, that's probably what I would say. And I think there's going to be a lot of, uh, there's, just a, there's just a lot of opportunity. There's just a lot of chaos. And, and I'm not a real estate guy. I don't invest in a lot of deals. But the, thing, the emails that I get, the things that come across my desk, like people have to get out of stuff. You know, this debt, uh, this debt issue is a problem. Um, so I, I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity, man. So this is a good season. I mean, I'm preparing myself for the next decade. Uh, you know, I'm spending less time thinking about what we built in the last decade and figuring out, okay, what it, what is, where do I want to be 10 years from now and getting super specific on that? I don't know if I ever quite did that before. And like really focusing on where do I see the world in 10 years and like putting a flag in and figuring out working backwards from there. Um, that's my perspective. Mooch, you want to go? And then Mike? <clears throat> I'm over here taking life notes today. 
Like actually, like as we're having this talk, I'm getting, I'm taking my own notes of things I'm going to do in my business this week and like just different ideas and different, you know, reflections of, well, maybe I, you know, maybe I need to look at this. So this has been, it's been fun and, and enjoyable today as always. And, uh, you know, so the data says we're in a soft landing. That's not as bad as we thought it was going to be. Things are going okay. Um, and, but it does not feel like that for me. Yeah. Like it just doesn't feel like that. I'm not seeing that now. I know. What do you mean? So my income for 2023 is going to be 25% of what my income was in 2021. Wow. I realized I found this out yesterday. A little depressed. Over it. Nobody <laughs> would be now if somebody saw my income, they wouldn't feel bad for me, but I'm spending a lot less money than I was. And I have a lot less extra, like 20, a 75% pay cut is giant and, I'm, and in these big numbers. And so I go, Mike, that's so like me bounce, bro. Be careful. Right? So it's like, <laughs> Hey, so I can, so it's like, yeah, Aaron can still pay his bills. He can still run his companies. He can still actually do some really fun. They're like, we see your Instagram, Aaron, you're still, you're not pulling back at all. Um, but that's less money that's in the system. That's less money that's getting spent on things. That's less money that like trickles down. And so like the, so whereas they can like a, a consumer behavior too. So like Maddie's, Maddie's concept of like, it feels like the bottom's about to fall out. It feels like it's worse than it is. Uh, it feels like, so it may be a soft landing, right? But we've got like, you know, three legs of the table that are working and we've got one that's gone and the table might stay up, right? Yep. Yep. Or somebody might kick out another leg and I won't be surprised either way at this point because of the data, but it doesn't feel safe. It doesn't feel fun. Uh, especially like, so personally I know, all right, my income's way down. Boom. So that's one. And I know I'm spending way less money. And so there are hundreds or thousands of people that will make less money because I'm not spending the extra, yeah. you know, money that I was spending. Cause essentially like I, cause I spend a lot of money. I spend a lot of money on fun stuff. And so it doesn't trickle down uh, or so it does trickle down. And the problems that we're seeing in uh, commercial, right? The commercial stuff that's coming. A lot of that's people's retirement accounts, right? Like a lot of people, it's their 401ks, like the big $100 million commercial building that gets foreclosed on. And people go, that's not me. It actually is you. That's actually like hers. Like, yeah. uh, like any teacher's retirement account has those big commercial properties inside it. And so they're, they are going to see less money that way. And then also... It does flow downhill. So yeah, so entrepreneurs keep the, the, the bulk share or whatever. You know, when you look at like the 1% makes X of whatever, but the, the 1% spends the money that makes the other stuff happen. And then we're also just feeling it on our, when I talk to my employees, when I talk to our tenants, like every conversation is they've got, they are, people are fighting and refinancing and selling a car to buy a new one in order to get 50 bucks less on their payment. Or in order to like, in order to get like 30 miles per gallon instead of 20, right? So people are switching out cars to get an extra $10, 10, you know, 10 miles, whatever it is to have cheaper gas. And so the, so when people are making those, I remember that in like, oh, 2009, but we were in the middle of this giant foreclosure crisis at the time. And so the, so anyway, it does, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel safe. Like. What advice does that, you know, to people get to act on with that? 
you know, Ash said it like the biggest businesses are built during times of crisis, during times of like, because, because some companies will get put out of business, others will fill their market share. And when the market turns, the market turns. Um, so it's not all bad news, but the, but yeah, I don't think that it's, um, I won't, I won't be surprised if companies start failing a little bit. And I, I also just think that, that sp consumer spending, they haven't turned off their spending yet. And as credit cards are getting maxed and not re-extended because they finally are stopping and getting re-extended, people will spend money until they just don't have it in their bank account. Um, yeah, they Jamie Diamond. Problem with America, man. Yeah. J J Jamie Diamond said, uh, I think it was earlier this week in an interview with Business Insider that based on a lot of the data they're seeing that um, consumers will exhaust their pandemic savings, which obviously was an all-time high of equity or cash on hand for Americans by Christmas of this year. Yeah, that's and huge. That's, that's a big deal, right? And then like you said, you know, if you look at a lot of the different debt arms right now, we've got student debt, which is a big part of our spending power and consumerism is what age group? It's millennials, the largest age group in the world right now. And when you look at now credit card debt, the percentage of credit card debt flown into serious delinquency rose from 3.35% in the second quarter of 2022 to five plus percent in the second quarter of 2023 and growing. There's 70 million more credit card accounts open now more than uh, in 2019, that was per the New York Fed. And Gen Z and millennials have an average credit card debt of 3,000, uh, which is a 6% jump. And they're seeing it jump month by month. Then you layer in the US debt, which our government's debt will rise by $5.2 billion every single day for the next decade. And we don't seem to have a very good plan we have for no how plan. we're... And, and so when you start, that's just our debt, right? And then you start thinking about the political climate. You start thinking about another potential pandemic 2.0, which we're starting to see people put mask mandates back in place. You're starting to hear a COVID variant over here. And we're seeing this again, that narrative is kicking back up, which would be absolutely catastrophic for the world and for the US economy as a whole, in my opinion. And then you start thinking about the housing market, the cost of capital right now, inflation. There's so many different variables right now that I think, to me, it feels like in this equation, we haven't seen some of these variables, that there's just a massive transformation under the, the water might seem a little you know calmer right now, but underneath, I feel like there's a riptide and a massive current that people can't see that you jump in those waters and potentially you get swept away. And I don't know, it just feels very unsettling right now at the moment. I'm curious, Mike, on kind of what your, what your thoughts and what you're seeing. Or Aaron, you want to add something? Well, really quick, what's the delinquency rate now of credit cards? Credit card delinquency rate is at 5%. Okay. The, I that, that's sure. up five, yeah, it's 5% um, up from 3.35 in the last... So why that's huge so the the fred hasn't hasn't come up with that data yet right they're behind and and talk a little bit about what fred is and what we're looking so, at so right now i'm right now i just pulled up the fred which is the you know the fed economic data you know site where you can get all sorts of things you type in interest rates you know things like yep. the, it's from the st louis fed 
So the URL is fred.stlouisfed.org. And so I pulled up a chart that said delinquency rate on credit cards over time. As Maddie started talking, I'm like, that's a really high number. And this goes back to 1991. And so it, this is only updated for last quarter. So now if we're in the fives, if you look at this chart, that means we are the highest ever except for in 2009, which was the absolute worst foreclosure crisis in our history, in our lifetime. It's but on the same trajectory. Like, right. So it is hard to say, yes, on the same trajectory in the sense that it will peak. Like it is going to, like if what he's saying about Jamie Dimon is true, first quarter next year, credit card delinquency is going to be the highest it's ever been. Yep. You know, and how can, and, and it is a lot harder to say like everything's okay when people are li living off credit cards to see that. So that's great data point you had, Matt. And thank guys, thanks for letting me to show that chart really quick. I love being able to see stuff over time uh, mm -hmm. and be able to compare it. So. Mikey? What do we do with all this? Like it's, you know, I, th this is what I come back to. Mike hates it when, Mike hates it question, when we say right? there might be something wrong. And he's like, everyone's going to just be over well, it. Well, no, it's, it's not the, uh, cause, and here's the thing that Maddie, when you're talking about this undercurrent, I feel it too. By the way, again, my son just got married. Like there's so many cases of COVID in my house right now. Like it's insane. So, and I think it is coming back. And when you start seeing all this, it's like, what do you do with it? But the thing that I'm thinking, I'm just thinking of the Henry Kissinger quote. You know, if you control the food, you control a nation. If you control energy, you control a region. If you control the money, you control the world. And this undercurrent, like I kind of look back to, we've had a lot of conversations about interest rates and, and you know what the Fed's going to do. And they, they have, there's so many competing priorities in all of that too, because we're like, we're fighting, you know, five, six, 7% inflation. And how do you, like, how do you control inflation? Interest rates and unemployment, right? Like the economic side of things. There, it, I, I don't want to go off on a tangent here, but there's 15 states that have record low unemployment, like crazy record low. Unemployment is not crazy. It's the and lowest it's, all ever, these, it's been in a long time. Yeah. And then there's all these conversations. Well, you know, unreported people and blah, blah, blah. And I like, okay, I, I get that, but we can talk any side of it. And I think the reality is, I mean, what, what could really, there's a, there's at some point in time, there's a breaking point, And I agree with all of that. I just don't know if it is or isn't going to happen. And if forces are like trying, like, do we, do we want it to break? Do we not want it to break? How do you, like, how do you slow us down? It's got to be unemployment. It has to be businesses breaking. It has to be business failure. That has to be the other side of it. And so like, there's this, I, I almost feel like I'm schizophrenic half the time because it's like, well, if we, if we really want shit to break, then we need high interest rates and, and, and high unemployment. But yet, like, let's toggle the interest rates back down and let's try to, you know, keep things from, from imploding. The only way to keep the commercial markets from imploding is to lower interest rates. Well, I mean, I feel like they're walking this razor's edge too, that it's like, so, okay, so what do we, what do we do with all of this? And I think it's just shore up, it's shore up your own house. Like just look at what you can do because I, I feel that the last few weeks have been really turbulent. It's getting really stressful and the conversations are rough. But the other side of the thing that I've been looking for is like, I'm, I'm looking for people that are unemployed. Is it just that I, I'm so disconnected from from everyday people that I can't find, like, I don't know anybody that's out of a job. Like, I don't know anybody that's, 
you know, really struggling right now? I don't, I like, I just don't know. So where's the struggle? Well, I think too, a lot more people, it shows a lot more people are working two jobs. So, I mean, you got people that are, you know, they got credit card debt, they got dwindling resources. There's still a lot of labor and jobs available that need to be absorbed into the economy. So I think this this landscape of kind of one, the work from home, two, technology has really changed the way jobs and reporting around jobs are, you know, um, taken into account. You got AI now coming into the landscape. Like there's a lot of different data sets that weren't around in 2008 post-financial crisis. We weren't, you know, so I, I don't know. It is that I think that's the question that everybody's trying to get down to the root of, which is with all of what we see here on the table, what do you do with it? Right. And I think that's where, uh, people want to mitigate their downside and their risk. They want to position themselves as Ash is saying, right. To skate where the puck is going over the next 10 years and capitalize on the opportunities. Um, it just feels really unsettling to me. And I don't know how other to put that, you know, outside of going, my spidey senses are tingling, but I don't have a lot to point to right now to say, this is what's going to break the camel's back, right? Just from a practical perspective, like shore up your house. Like I think everything that, you know, watch your expenses because something's going to happen. And if it turns out good, Reduce your expenses, great. everybody. That's the <laughs> lesson of the podcast. Reduce your cost. <laughs> But I, but I want to say one other thing that circles back to what we were talking about before too. The thing that I love about, if you've got a job, just work harder, show up, like go to the office yes. because everybody is saying like, get to the office. Like if you don't get your ass to the office, you're, you're, you're going to, you're going to be on the chopping block. Just work harder. But the thing that I love about what we were talking about earlier with business versus real estate in business, we can turn on a dime. If something does happen and Aaron has these seven businesses, like he can pull different levers with real estate. It's pretty hard to pull the levers quickly. And so I just wanted to kind of make that correlation. You're either in a W2 space where show up, be present with your manager, work hard, because if cuts are going to be made, you need to be, it's like I was saying last week with Vancouver, be in front of them. Mike, that was a really important statement. Everyone needs to hear that because you, people need to show up right now. You need to work hard and you need to show your face. And I think when people will be making cuts, I've started to see in some of our peripheral industries, 80, 90 year old companies put a, put a one piece of paper on a door and all of a sudden 500 people are out of work. So there's, yep. there's a lot of companies that are suffering and struggling privately that you don't see their balance sheets and they're just good. They, you know, they're not set up. They don't have the teams in place to cut and save money and bad habits and bad spending behaviors and all that. So there's still a lot of blood. So as, as an earner, reduce your costs and show up for your company to make yourself non-replaceable. I think we don't see unemployment because businesses are, are, have fired so many people over the last two to three years that now they don't have huge cuts to, to keep cutting. And people have shuffled around multiple industries, gig economy, blah, blah, blah. Um, but spending is still way too high, and uh, I think we haven't seen the worst of it. I think 2024 is going to be even more fun than this. I think the next six months, we'll start to see that unemployment start to tick up, right? Because everybody was like, oh, it was, it was tech companies, right? There was so much air. It was so, it was so inflated. Like Tech companies had to 
to trim right their their payroll. Well, now it's starting to go beyond tech companies, and now it's starting to hit some of these everyday businesses yeah. that I don't think we've seen those data sets yet. But I feel like in a lot of the conversations I'm having, these types of actions are happening like right now. As you're listening to this podcast, people are making cuts to payroll. Um, my buddy uh, works at um, at Juniper Square, which is uh, a real estate tech platform for like funds and syndications. And he said that um, they've laid off about 80% of their sales team as of this week because they're down like 50% in revenue this year. I've got other buddies that I've consulted and coached with and, you know, just connect with. And, you know, they're in HVAC companies, they're in plumbing companies, they're in service-based businesses and, you know, or construction companies, they're starting to slow down. A lot of what I think we'll see in the data sets in the next three to six months, those shifts and hard decisions are happening right now. And I love what you said, Mike, and I love what you said, Ash. I think if you're somebody who's listening to this podcast right now, now's the time not to get scared. Now's not the time to rest on your laurels. Now's not the time to you know, kind of sit back and wait to see what happens. If anything, I highly suggest anybody that's listening to this gets back in the trenches, rolls their sleeves up, gets on the front lines, because that's where you're going to have the quickest ability to one, know what's going down in the battle, and two, make the proper and necessary adjustments. And these are the times that we get forged into better, stronger, wiser, you know, more capable and dangerous leaders in our lives and in our businesses. So I, I think that point needs to be emphasized in a really big way is in times like right now, in times of turmoil, right? They don't say it's the, the, the skilled sailor is not made when the seas are calm. It's, it's when the storm is brewing and you're adjusting the sails day in and day out to get to where you think you want to go. And I think this is that season we're heading into. And I'm honestly, as, as paranoid and anxious as that makes me, it, it's those types of moments bring out the best in me. And I think most all of us could probably were nodding our heads and probably most listeners are nodding their head right now of going, even though it's not the, the funnest of times, these are the best of times that will set you up for your next big win and success in your life and in your business because it forged someone new. It brought something new out of you that you metamorphosized into a more capable person that it's going to serve in the long-term you know, picture of your timeline. So I love that you brought that up because now is the time to really show up way bigger than you've ever showed up before. And whatever that looks like, show up a little bit more after that. A 30-second I want to add to it. Yeah, 30 seconds. Let's wrap. Yes, wrapping. Keep, like, keep an eye on unemployment, just like Matt said, because you guys said there's levers in business. And the first thing, so I'm down 75% on my income. So what's a lever that I can pull? In real estate, I don't have any lever other than sell an asset and get equity out of it. Yep. Uh, but in business, we have levers we can pull. Our biggest expense that any business has is your employee expenses. The salaries that you pay is always your biggest expense. Like there's some subscriptions and there's some offices and things like that. I was able to get my office lease negotiated down 40%. But what are the next levers that get to get pulled? So if biz, but businesses don't like laying people off. So usually they won't till all of a sudden their, their credit you know runs up too. just like consumers will keep going till their credit cards get maxed. Business will do the same, but the, but that's the lever that can be pulled. 
And yep. so the that's when we'll when we do see unemployment ticking up, that will show that it, the top the trickle down is starting. I'll, I'll leave one last data point. Bureau of Labor Services just revised down their jobs report uh, pretty significantly in this last data set that came out today. So available jobs that are out there for people to go in and get absorbed into, that pool of jobs that are available is shrinking by hmm. the month. It's wild. People are and cautious. that says the economy is great. Good episode, guys. Let's let's wrap. Any maybe uh, last thoughts as we wrap up this episode? For me, um, I think this is a, has been a really good conversation. I think that the lesson for me is that it is important to war game your life and your business, which means you don't have to be in war to plan or think about what war would look like. So asking the question at your dinner table or in your boardroom about what would happen if our sales dropped by 50%? What would happen if uh, we we lost our job? What happens if if you know, we went down 75% and preparing mentally and psychologically and emotionally for this um, is an exercise. And we kind of just did that for the last hour and a half with everybody. And you don't see a lot of anxiety because it hasn't happened yet, but at least you're thinking about it. And so I, I really encourage everyone to lean into this. We've been thinking about it for a few weeks before we recorded today, but it's a good open-ended question without a gun to your head, which is when you should be thinking about these types of things. So that's my final thoughts, um, and I'll wrap up after you guys circle. So 30 seconds. Maddie, you go first. Oh, I think you said it well, and I'll <laughs> kind of leave it with my piece, you know, in terms of now is, is really where I think leaders and, you know, stewards of their mission step up to the plate the most is they, they, they shine in these moments. And, and I think as scary as it is, these are the times that people need to lean on their community and, and their, their mentors and their masterminds, because these are the moments sometimes that it's easy to get into your own head. I know I find myself doing that. And I am so grateful for the people that I have around me. Um, because it, it really helps me get out of my own way. And no matter how successful you are, no matter how capable you are, we all, you know, struggle with the conversation that happens in between our two ears every single day. And so that's why I am grateful for guys like you. I'm grateful for communities and masterminds that we're a part of because it helps me keep the main thing, the main thing, hitting the ball down the fairway. And I think now in these types of times is the time that, um, you know, you get called to, to step up in a big way. And these are the opportunities that forge the future for those that do. Mikey. I, I love what Maddie said about, you know, just, just the mindset and Ashish, you talking about war gaming, we need to do all of that. And I think that, you know, the, the best individuals, um, the best businesses do that. But I also think we need to guard our heart in times like this and, and our mind space. And, and Maddie, you were kind of touching on this, but the worst thing that we can do is go into a negative death spiral. Um, one of my favorite scriptures is in Proverbs and it says, you know, hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when inspiration comes, it's a, it's a spring, it's a wellspring of life. And, and I think there's so many, I think we just have to be careful when we're losing hope because all this racket and noise that, that none of us can control can put us in literally into a death spiral. 
Yes, and I think, can. I think the more you know, masterminds and education and and wise people that we get around, the better we get to like you know. There's wisdom in a multitude of counsel, and that's good. But I think there's so many people that just you know hear the news and they read the negativity, and it's like you can get into this place where it's like, well, you know, piss on. There's it. no hope. There's nothing I can do, and and we just stick our head in the sand and. Um, I, I, I don't, I don't think it has to be that way. I think we can fight through it. And so just guard your heart. Um, you know, watch what you're, I'm not saying don't listen to reality, but just, just be careful. You just don't, you don't need to listen to the news. You just need to listen to this podcast and tune everything (laughs) else out. Mooch, you want to bring us home? We'll tell you who to vote for. We'll tell you, you know, the, uh, you know, all the people that are getting foreclosed on right now. And there's not a lot. It's like, you know, lowest in history in general for housing, but it's all because of the head in the sand thing. Mm-hmm. They all have equity. They're just like, oh my God, there's a problem. I can't believe I'm going to lose my house. And they put their head in the sand and they lose their house with a bunch of, there's like the, the percentage of people getting foreclosed on that have tons of equity has never been higher. Also, so even though foreclosures are at like an all time low, the, the people that are getting foreclosed on, they have tons of equity. And they're just like putting their head in the sand instead of instead of dealing with the issue. They're going like, oh, my God, I don't know how to solve this. And so it's a, that's a common thing. Middle America, like it's common to put our head in the sand and like not address it. Matt said hit the ball down the fairway. I shot two over par this morning uh, on the baby. golf course. So I had a I had a nice fun start to my day uh, before coming out here. I hadn't been out in a month because I've been uh, coming up with my new hobbies. The notes I took for myself today. Right. So it's like strategize and be honest with yourself. Like at least as much, or maybe, maybe there's a percent, an hour to a day or 30 minutes a day, like strategize and be honest with yourself about the big picture stuff uh, right now. Cause it's really, gets really easy to show up at the office, whatever your office is, whatever your day is. And like, just do the action and like not get the bird's eye view. But like right now it's like getting that bird's eye view. I wrote, should I stop pause investing in real estate completely Mm. right now for the next Mm. 12 to 18 months? as like a cash versus opportunity cost. It's back to like Mike. So where are my headaches right now? It's on. So why am I still doing some fun flips? Well, I don't like the fact that my income's down and that's a way that I know I can generate a 20, a 30, a 50, a thousand, a hundred thousand dollar pop. It's also yep. where my stress is. It's also taking up a lot of my time and it's going like, well, what would, what would my opportunity cost be if for the next 18 months I said, look, I won't buy any new real estate. I'll keep my rentals that are there. I'll sell the flips I have and I'll focus on building one of my other businesses. So Mike kind of inspired that, which is funny because that was an event that we were like helping run and facilitate and the lesson that we saw that the other guys should be doing. So I'm even taking notes for myself out there, which that would be a big identity shift change. So if you guys are out there listening, I guess all that you can take out of that is like, like assess and be honest with yourself and go, maybe even this identity thing or this thing that I love is something that, in, that when times are tough, I should actually put it on the back burner so mm. I can focus on, uh, you know, this other stuff. And then uh, when I do, you know, and, and in 2024, I want to own my own office instead of just pay a giant lease on the office that I'm in. So those are my- There my may th- be some opportunities in office in the next 12 to 24 the months. The reason I put 2024 is I was just able to renegotiate my lease way down. I don't think it's time to buy it right now, but I think I in 2024, like my lease, is, what, my lease was 10 grand a month. Like the, in 2024, I'll be able to buy a, you know, a big building for 40% less than what I could today. Yep. Before you wrap up, Ash, I just want to encourage all of our listeners. If you've got specific questions for anybody on our panel, 
the one thing that I know all of us have said is that we are an open book and we're happy to share and, and you know, give wisdom, exposure, transparency into certain things that most people will not share. And the amount of wisdom and experience and, and value and knowledge that sits on this panel, I'm looking at the three faces right here in front of me, um, is infinite and could make a massive difference in your life. And I don't know too many podcasts that have this caliber of success, but also humility and, and transparency and authenticity. And so I would encourage any of our listeners to take advantage of that. So if you have a question for Ash, for Aaron, for Mike, for myself, text those in at 844-447-1555. And maybe we can spin up a little bit of a uh, you know hot seat round for um, our our uh, panel based on what, what questions we get in over the next couple of weeks. Yeah. Or send yeah. some recorded questions. I would love some audio questions or somebody like records a question, sends it yeah, to us. Cool. We can play it. We can riff on it. That'd be or fun. Send it in YouTube. So yeah, I mean, really, really great episode. Good conversation. I think we are learning in real time, real talk, trying to, I mean, you, you're hearing us really process these issues in real time and I know these guys pretty intimately. We're sharing some real stuff, guys. This is what's really going on under the covers, which was the intent of this. So definitely, um, we're going to continue to launch this podcast on everybody's individual podcast for a few more weeks. Um, everybody's putting it on YouTube. So leave us comments, uh, text Maddie's phone number, um, You know, put leave us reviews, all that kind of stuff. Give us some feedback on what you're liking, what you're not liking, and what do you want us to talk about? And remember that the cost of listening is that you have to share it with one person that may get benefit from it. Um, nothing in life is free, although we are consuming a lot of your time, but we appreciate it. And uh, until next time, be a king in your own kingdom. Good to see you, boys. Cheers. If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.